Welcome to the Principles of Success, and today we are talking about how to make money in the real estate market. And last episode actually ended up being a whole lot shorter than what I thought it was post-editing, so that was a little disappointing. I could have talked more about some stuff because we got a lot to talk about. And also remember, these episodes are mostly improv, so there's probably things that I should talk about that I've just completely spaced on. I've just jotted down a couple of notes real quick from my expertise, my limited expertise in the subject. So let's dive in. Last week, I talked about the three types of flippers. There's the uh, speedy contractor junkie, there's the DIYer, and there's the um, slow and steady. The con for the second two is holding costs. Holding costs drain your profits pretty substantially. For the long and steady person, it doesn't matter because they're using it as a um, way to live pretty cheaply. But for the DIYer, you have to compare doing it yourself and extending the holding costs versus paying contractors to make it faster. So what is holding costs? Holding costs are things like mortgage payment, utilities, taxes, insurance, maintenance, HOAs. So those are all holding costs and they add up. But on the flip side, contractors can be pretty expensive. So it depends on your market, on your environment, and what you want to do. Because there's a lot of paperwork involved with contractors. In fact, I had the notes for it somewhere, but there's like eight, nine key um, pieces of paperwork that you need to make sure you have when hiring contractors. And that includes uh, scope of work, uh, insurance, um, proof of insurance, the payment schedule for their work, Bids might be one of them. I don't I don't remember. I have the notes, but I don't have them. So there's several key pieces of paperwork that you need when hiring contractors as a business, as a real estate flipping business. There we go. So that's the first thing, holding costs. You need to look at holding costs and compare them to contractors. Next, you need to look at what it actually takes or what you need to crunch some numbers. Before you make the offer, the money for the property is made at the offer, not the sell. Because if you make an offer of $400,000 and the market cap, the maximum you could possibly sell that house for is $400,000, well, it doesn't matter what you do to the property, the max you're going to get for it is $400,000. So all profit is made at the offer. So you need to know your numbers before you make the offer. Now, yes, that is easier said than done because things come up. That's why you have to make estimates. And as you go along further into the real estate industry, you will get better at making those estimates. So what are the numbers you need? After repair value. So this is where comps come in. If you've watched any real estate show, they always talk about comps. What are the comparable houses in the market area and what are they selling for? You want roughly the same year, roughly the same location, roughly the same size. This is where a realtor is your friend, because they can. that's where you can get your numbers. The next number you need is the cost of the repairs. If you're using contractors, this is the cost of hiring the contractors. If you're doing it by yourself, this is the cost of the material. But you need to know what the repair costs are. Obviously, you won't get it correct. Everything comes and... 
changes. That's why you usually want to add in 10 to 20% to help balance that number. Next is holding costs. How long are you going to hold onto the property? We just talked about holding costs. And then lastly, closing costs. This includes the closing costs for you buying the property and the closing costs for you selling the property. So once you get your after repair value, which is what your the similar houses are selling for, you minus the repair costs, the holding costs, and the closing costs, and that number is the maximum you can offer. I slightly messed up. That number is the maximum that that house is worth. So if you want to make $0, that's the maximum you can offer. If you want to make $30,000, you need to make an offer that is $30,000, that is at maximum $30,000 underneath that number. And if the seller thinks that that number is way too low, well, then you move on to the next property. You don't buy crappy deals and you don't try and, to, and, you don't try and force crappy deals to become good deals. You do your homework, you find good deals, you crunch the numbers, and if the good deals pan out, then you jump. If not, you move on to the next one. The game of money is a patience game. When you're investing in stock market, you will look at tons and tons of stocks before you pick one to invest in, if you're doing individual stocks. Same thing goes for real estate deals. You will look at tons and tons of deals before you make an offer. Does the numbers only work if the numbers work? If the numbers don't work, don't make the deal. And that goes into the next subject. How are you going to find these deals? We Buy Ugly Houses is a great marketing campaign where real estate investors got together and made a marketing campaign to find these deals. Your realtor helps you find these deals. However, there's lots of people with lots of realtors looking for these deals as, as well. So that's where marketing comes into play. So that way you can have leads coming in. And we will talk about marketing and sales. Um, it actually might be next episode. So marketing and sales was supposed to be several episodes earlier, but I decided to move it towards the business section because they're business related skills. So learn marketing, learn sales, so that way you can get those leads and find the deals. And that's basically step one for any form of investing. But step one for real estate investing is coming up with ways to find deals so that way you can invest in them. The next one is crunching the numbers, making sure that you have the correct information, all the information you need to determine if this is a good deal or not. Then you close on the deal. And then in real estate, you fix it up, whether it's going to be rental or um, flipping. I spaced on the word flipping. If, if it's going to be rental or flipping, it doesn't matter. You're going to fix it up so that way it looks nice. That might be as simple as washing the walls, but you're going to fix it up so it looks nice. And then you need to generate more leads for either selling it or attracting tenants to your property. And there's a whole lot of paperwork involved, but... That's up for you to figure out because I hate paperwork and talking about paperwork is freaking annoying. Also, I'm not going to get in trouble for telling you that you need this piece of paperwork and not that piece of paperwork. If it's rental that you plan on doing, instead of ARV, you need to figure out um, the net operating income. This is mostly applied for commercial, but you need to figure out how much you can rent the thing for 
how much it's going to cost you to get it rented. Whether, so if it's a really distressed property that you're fixing up, how much are you going to profit from the rentals? So in commercial senses, usually how property is appraised is the net operating income. So net operating income is just income minus expenses. How much is the property making in rent? How much is going towards maintaining the property? Um, utilities and that sort of stuff. Taxes, mortgage, that sort of stuff. Next, let's talk about making sure you're protected. You can either do LLCs or there's insurances for flipping and for landlords. Make sure that you have financial protection so that way you can't get sued and people come after your own personal money, not just your real estate property. And usually you want to make sure that that property is isolated from all of your other properties. So some, if someone slips and falls in Los Angeles, they can't steal all of your properties that are in San Francisco. I, d I don't know how close those are, but I was aiming for close cities. New York, New Jersey. There we go. I know those ones are right next to each other. So make sure you have protection on your properties. Again, that's more paperwork. This is why you need to do lots of research because there's always paperwork. If you're selling the property, you need to make sure that you do the things that are going to get you the best, the best bang for your buck. So putting a new roof on a house does not add that much value to the house. Yes, it means that the house isn't going to get rained inside, have rain on the inside, but people don't pay attention to it. People like kitchens, people like bathrooms, they don't care about the foundation, they don't care about the roof, and those are super expensive. So make sure to, my rule of thumb is just stay, stay, stay clear of any property that has foundation or roofing damage. Just stay clear of it. That's my rule of thumb. You don't necessarily have to follow it, but do the repairs that people actually care about. And do the steps that are actually going to make it profitable during the sale. One, get a realtor. Two, staging. So stage, what staging means is you can rent furniture, you can... Use your own furniture if you want, but you make the house look lived in. You put a TV stand, a couch, a coffee table in the living room, and then you take professional pictures. Not pictures with your little smartphone. You make sure that they're professionally done because this is what the people look at when they are first evaluating the property. And if your pictures suck and it's not staged, you're not going to make anywhere near as much money. So do the work that actually matters and make sure that it is presented in the most attractive light that you can possibly do it, so that way you get the most amount of people interested, so you get the most amount of money. Next, let's talk strategies. So there's two strategies that I really like to talk about. There's millions of others, but these are the two that most people will be doing. So the first is called the Burr strategy. Burr strategy is buy, repair, rent, and refinance. So you buy the property. You look for a distressed property and you buy it. We've already talked about that, so we'll move on. Repair, you fix it up. And then you rent it out. And then you go to the bank and get it refinanced because now it's worth more. And you've forced equity into the property by fixing it up. And you have a renter, so that way there's proof of income. All which means you can extract the money that you put down for your down payment on buying the property you then can extract it from this property 
and put it into the next property. And that's kind of the whole idea of it. Now, if you try to solely do burr, you'll run out of money eventually because the, the math just doesn't work. You'll get, you put $20,000 down on a property and then when you refinance it, you might get $15,000 back. So that's why it's almost always a combination of buying and selling, flipping, and buying and holding, renting. The other super easy, most common property is, or tactic, is house, ha is house hacking. Where you buy the house, and you live in it, and you rent out parts of the house. This can be, if you're single, you can buy a house in a college town and rent it out to roommates. Married people typically don't want to do that. That's why I said single. But you could do that if you're married too. Um, house hacking also includes duplexes and more. So you buy a house that has distinct parts. So there's your house and a connected to your house is a separate unit. This can be a basement apartment. This can be a full-fledged duplex where it's just two houses, one property. So you buy the house, you live in one house, um, one part of the house, or you buy a property and you live in one section and you rent out the other section. And you can use a FHA loan, which is much less money down, to do this. Because it's your primary residence, you're living there, but you can rent out. And the rent covers your mortgage. Next, let's talk about banks. Banks are in it to make money. If you can show them that investing in you will make them money and is a safe investment, they will usually give you money. And there's all sorts of different types of loans that you can do. You can use projected rental income as a source of income for the loans. And as you build relationships with banks, this becomes easier and easier. So you usually want to have at least some sort of relationship with a regional bank and with a major bank. So examples of major banks are Chase, which I hate, US Bank, um, Wells Fargo, big banks that you see advertisements for and are all across the nation. Regional banks are like your local city bank. In Oklahoma, there's a bank that I love called Arvest Bank. It is a uh, it is a state bank, so there's it's throughout the whole state, but it's still really small. And the reason why you want to make relationships with both types of banks is because the big banks can do deals that the little banks can't. The little banks will do deals that the big banks won't. So if you're friends with the banker at the little bank, there's a better chance that you'll get approval for deals where the big banks with all their bureaucracy will just be like, ha, no. However, some deals the little banks just can't do because they're little. So the big banks can do those. And when you get all of your numbers right, they'll do it for you. So make sure you have relationships with big banks and little banks and understand what type of loans that you can do for different real estate setups. Another subject you should research, I'm not a pro on this subject, so I'm not going to talk about it. You should research all of the tax deductions and credits that you can get in real estate investing. Because the rule is, if you pay anything in taxes in real estate, then you probably missed out on some sort of deduction. That's not saying that you necessarily should 
pay no taxes in real estate because you have to have proof of income for banks loans and you um in deduct everything which is a book review that i did uh you can be tax obsessed and you to save ten thousand dollars in not paying taxes you might miss out on a hundred thousand dollars because you're so busy trying to not pay the ten thousand dollars in taxes but the rule of thumb is that you can get out of 100% of taxes in real estate. So make sure you study that subject. And then I probably should talk about how the actual rehabbing process works, but that's such a in-depth topic that I'm not really sure how to talk about it. So when you buy a property, you make you get it inspected by an inspector so that way you know that you're not screwing up and then you gut the thing, make, um, not necessarily total gut, but you gut the parts that you're going to replace, you rip it all out, and then either you repair it or you hire a contractor to repair it. And you want to build systems if you're going, especially if you're doing um, more than one flip a year. You want to build systems so that way you can predict how much repairs are going to cost. Most um, professional flippers that I've um, either known or have some sort of association or have watched YouTube videos on, they use Home Depot or Lowe's because it is everywhere. They're everywhere and their products are predictable. So that way you can build systems around those. So that way you know how much everything is going to cost. Beyond that, I don't really know what to talk about because I could talk about the intricacies of electricity and plumbing and paint colors and um, the pros and cons of ripping out cabinets and or and or just refinishing them and painting them or staining them. But typically, the main things that sell a house are the kitchen and the master bathroom. So that's where you should focus on making sure those things look really nice. Also, don't overflip. If it's a lower middle class house, do not put a ton of nice finishes on the house because you're going to, you have to keep in mind that after repair value. You don't get to up the after repair value by very much just because you put in luxurious um, countertops. If it's a lower middle class house, put in lower middle class finishes and be aware of Holding costs. Holding costs and um, overflipping a property are two of the biggest dangers that first-time flippers encounter. Oh, also, and thinking that you can just punch a hole, get rid of a wall to make it a more open feel without making sure it's not a load-bearing wall. And hopefully, my random improv ramblings covered a good amount of information, and you can use this as kind of a stepping off point for investing in real estate between this episode and last episode. So with that, I will see you all next week.